Hello and welcome to the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield University in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast shares these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy today's episode. All right, my name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Lee Brown. We're at her home in Sherwood. It's June 2nd, 2022. Lee, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, First question to get us rolling is why wine? Um, Well, I kind of fell into wine um, from going to culinary school, actually. Um, I'm also a musician, so I'm a professional harpist, and my undergraduate degree is in music performance from Indiana University, and I was doing music, I still do music, um, and I, after I finished my undergraduate degree, I um, freelanced as a musician and waited tables, and I really got into food, but I went back to grad school to continue my music education, but I was really pulled towards food, and I was sort of sick of living in the Midwest, so I quit grad school halfway through, got in my van with my dad, and we drove to Oregon. <laughs> and I um, didn't know anybody and just started all over, and I was fortunate enough in culinary school to have to take wine classes. And I was excited about tasting it, but I was mostly excited about how it was made when I was learning about the production side. And at the time, you had to do an internship to finish school, and it worked out perfectly that it was harvest time. Mm -hmm. And one of my instructors had a winery at the time, or a brand, rather. And so I did my internship with him. Um, And after that, I ended up working at a wine bar in Portland called Urban Wine Works for three years. And I did, I taught classes there on blending, doing events, tastings, etc. But I really missed production, so I, after about three years, I worked at Stoller, um, and I did Harvest there in 2008, and I... Um, I wanted to do it internationally and my father's from South Africa and so right after that I went to Africa and I worked a vintage there and then when I came back I I worked for a very large uh, winery in South Africa it was it was the most exhausting harvest I'd ever done (laughs) and it was amazing it was a really interesting challenge but I um, I wanted to work for a small winery so I ended up working for um, AFI wines um, and worked there for three or four years as their cellar master. And at that point, I went into um, sales for a little bit. I ended up being one of the buyers for New Seasons Market. Um, And then I went back into production. So just like me, I tend to to flow every which way. But I've been working for Marshall Davis Wines in Carlton. I mean, that's where his tasting room is, but we make our wines at Beacon Hill Winery in Gaston, and we make their wines as well as his wines, and then we have a handful of clients, so it's like a custom fresh facility. And it's been really fun for me because um, we make so many wines. We make maybe about 10,000 cases, which may sound like a lot to somebody, but it's really not that much, but it's about 50 wines that we make, so lots of little lots. 
because, again, we get to experiment with all different varietals. We get fruit from Oregon, from Washington, from all over the place. And my boss, along with my family, encouraged me to start my brand, um, which I did. <laughs> so that's kind of how I got into wine, was really through food, actually. Um, so, yeah. Lots of questions after all of that. I'm going to back up to the beginning, and what was the thing that got you excited about wine in the first place? You mentioned kind of taking wine courses. Yeah. What about wine was intriguing to you? It was truly the, uh, the way it was made. I, I had no, I, no concept or idea of that prior to school, and I wasn't really that into wine as a young adult. Um, I definitely liked to drink, but I thought, oh, I have a glass of wine with dinner, that's what you're supposed to do, and I didn't really think much about it. Um, and so it wasn't until I actually sat down in a class format where you had to taste things one at a time and compare did I truly get excited um, about, wow, these actually do taste different, and now I'm learning about where they came from, and maybe they were made differently, or what varietals they were. And then, um, uh, I, yeah, and again, I just, I'm a very um, hands-on person, I'm a very physical, active person, and um, it's the same with the heart as, a, as an instrument. It takes your feet, your hands, and um, so I like to be busy in that regard. So the production, to me, seemed the most exciting. So I was really excited to, like, dive in and make something. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Tell me about your first production experience then. What was, what was it like? Um, it was really small, um, and it was on McMinnville, and we... Um, uh, I, I mean, I really do nothing, um, but we brought in fruit from different vineyards in Oregon. It was mostly Pinot Noir um, and Aligote and some other small lots. And then we we had a tiny little basket press that we used, and we did everything by hand. I had to stomp grapes one day for real, um, <laughs> and you know it was only about a six-week time. Um, so, you know, it was, it was exciting, it was hard, you know, learning to drive a forklift, all that sort of stuff. Um, honestly, it was just fun. <laughs> it was just, you know, I still didn't really understand much about it in the moment, mm -hmm. um, but I just so enjoyed, like, getting my hands into it. Mm -hmm. So fun is an interesting word for winemaking because it is, it's fun, but I, I, we've also, you know, it's also kind of monotonous and laborious and it repetitive. Yeah. So what was it? Is it? Was there something specific that was like really appealing to you about the process? Um, I think, you know, people often ask like, what's your favorite time of year in making wine? And I would say as stressful as it is harvest because it's never the same. It challenges you every time, as my boss likes to say, every year we're going to do some winemaking because you think you did it easily the last time when actually it just, you're constantly being challenged, um, whether it's, you know, it's farming, it's the weather, it's, um, you know, the fruit set, the fires, <laughs> the rain, all of it. So it's definitely very frustrating, but um, I like that it's all sensory, it's physical, and for me, the fun part truly is just that I get to use my whole body. Um, you get to make something, and you get to see it from start to finish. It smells wonderful. Um, you get to work mostly with really fun people. Um, you spend a lot of time together, so you hopefully like each other. <laughs> um, but yeah, for me, it's truly just um, 
and the make the whole like making it um, is fun. Yeah. Talk about learning wine then as you were, you're doing production and you're kind of progressing through. What was the, your sort of process for learning more about wine and, and what did you find was the most kind of intriguing part or appealing part of wine, of learning about wine? Um, sorry, the most intriguing part. Of like, of like what, what about wine fascinated you as you kind of were learning more about it? Oh, um, well, like I had also taken a lot of like um, wine studies, so I definitely got really hooked into learning about where wine was made around the world and trying things that are similar but different and that's what's been fun too with not only my brand but just with some of our clients is being reminded that wine or fruit tastes different from different maybe different vineyards or different countries or different states if you will Mm -hmm. and um, I I think it's a really fun and interesting challenge to make something its own, yet the same and different and unique all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, like Pinot Noir, for example, is a very has its very distinct quality. However, it tastes very different from Burgundy. It tastes very different in California. It tastes very different from the winery next door. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is, you know, how are you making it? You know, maybe you're making it true to the grape or the style, or you're making your own style. Um, so it's really interesting, I think, to see that everyone's doing their own thing, um, yet maybe trying to reflect what it is, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like when we make wine, we really try to focus on the, the vineyard and the and not try to fuss too much to make things one way or the other. Obviously, we all have our own style, and you want it to be delicious. Um, but you want it to reflect perhaps the vintage or the grape um, or blend you're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. So I think that to me is the most intriguing part. Um, I, I would say too it's important and what I like to do is to try to make it something that I think is delicious. And for me, not necessarily to for you, <laughs> hopefully you would find it delicious. But um, yeah, just trying to make it something that I, w- I would want to drink and mm-hmm. that I'm excited about. So you mentioned some of the places you've worked in both kind of the retail side and, and the yeah. production side. Tell me about your sort of the, the sort of takeaways for you as you were kind of progressing through. What were you learning along the way and what were you kind of developing? Uh, what did you take away from the places you worked? Um, I really um, enjoyed, uh, sorry, my allergies are like <laughs> making um, I, I loved working for other people. I still love working with other people. I. I've been fortunate to work for some really great winemakers um, and in different size, you know, volumes and different styles for sure and using different equipment. Um, I think the most exciting thing for me is working specifically with the winemaker to kind of see what they can teach me and and, I may not necessarily agree with all of it. Um, I, um, you know, it's been interesting being a woman in wine. That's um, often talked about a lot these days. I don't really think so much about, you know, I don't like walk around the winery and think, oh, I'm a woman. I think about that I'm a winemaker, but I've definitely had to prove myself a little bit more um, because I've often worked mostly with men, um, which is great. Uh, 
and so it's been fun, especially physically, to prove myself that I'm capable of doing everything that everyone else can. Um, and uh, that's actually been fun for me. You know, when I worked for Howard of AP Wines, it was a really cool experience because I was at August Cellars just down the road. Mm -hmm. And similar to where I work now, which is like a custom crush facility, however, it's just me and my boss. There, it's a bunch of winemakers, and you're sharing equipment, you're sharing space, and everyone has a completely different style and way they make wine. And so for me, it was just like a free way to learn or observe what everyone's doing. And you know, try what they're making and have conversation. And, and that was just really fun mm -hmm. for me. It was, it was, it was great. It was challenging for sure. It's hard to share, um, but it was fun. <laughs> it was very fun. At what point did you start to develop uh, sort of a, you mentioned kind of, you want to make something that's delicious and you want to make something that's true to the vineyard. At what point did you start to sort of develop that philosophy in terms of the wines you wanted to produce were going to be like this? with growers as well as um, reflect that uh, ABA or that area that was really important to him specifically with Pinot Noir and that was I thought really interesting it wasn't something I had put a lot of thought into um, you know you think oh I'm making Pinot Noir when it's actually like well um, you know Yamhill Carlton is really very different than Dundee the clones are really different so I learned a lot more about um, how there's so many differences in something that's similar or the same, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a really great experience. And then just moving along with my boss, um, Sean Davis, has been great too um, because he has his own vineyard, yet he buys fruit, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay from a lot of different vineyards out here. And it really is so interesting to see what we can play with and how different they are and with them um, so I really like having a lot of options to mix together mm -hmm. it's been just a really great learning experience um, so yeah. you mentioned kind of the unique fairly small production but a lot of different kinds of wine that you're making now yeah. so tell me about that tell me about the, the unique challenge of that um, it's really hard when you have small lots to maybe make lots of blends from because you really don't have a lot of options however that's not always the case you know for some clients it's just like this is what I have and so you're making what you have mm -hmm. um, and it's really been fun to just like every year I feel like we make something different or we get a new grape varietal in or we make a new blend um, but it's challenging because we we do six bottlings a year and so there's a lot to think about each time you're bottling um, you know seven to nine lots of wine um, and he and I are doing pretty much all of it ourselves and we've gotten the groove and we know what we're doing um, but it's definitely stressful it's challenging I find it rewarding um, and it's exciting for I think for our me to see our clients see their final product and get excited and um, you know maybe we do it different or the same next year um, 
and that's the other thing is like learning these vineyards mm -hmm. takes time. Um, there's constant challenges. You know, I've learned that with my brand. My brand is very young, and so I'm still learning my vineyards, learning the style that I'm going for. And so you can't like make it today and then make it tomorrow. You know, you got to wait a year, and then there's the whole vintage itself is a challenge. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to come back to your, your brand here in a yeah. second, but I want to back up for a minute. You mentioned, obviously, the other part of your life, music and, and the harp. Yeah. So tell me about, we're going to back up for a second. Tell me how that became something you were interested in, and tell us kind of the path you've taken with that. Sure. So I grew up in Bloomington, Indiana, and Indiana University has one of the best music schools in the world. And I was fortunate that um, they have kind of a really good pre-college program for kids. And um, my best friend at the time started taking the harp, and I guess I wanted to be like her, so I took the, my poor parents, so I picked the harp, like the biggest <laughs> instrument. And um, I just fell in love with it. I started when I was eight years old and played all through, you know, grade school, high school, and um, decided to pursue it as a, a degree or career, if you will. And I. Um, I've always just loved music. My dad was always really into music, but I was really the only musician in my family. Um, and I, um, I like that I can still do that now. It definitely keeps me very busy. I play at a lot of wineries, actually, <laughs> and events and parties and weddings. Um, but it's truly my other business. Mm -hmm. um, and I... Um, yeah, I, I, I just, I've always loved music, and, you know, there's times where I think I'm a crazy person because I make wine and I make music, and it just sounds so bizarre, but um, that's who I am, that's what I do. I don't make a lot of money, obviously, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it's fun, yeah. So, obviously, we've, we've met a lot of people with the kind of the music-wine crossover in our in our work. It seems to be something that it, it, it is attractive to people of, of a certain brain style, sure. I guess. So tell me about uh, how they, do they inform each other at all? Do, do your, does your music and your winemaking inform each other? Um, I mean, I think it's just that creative, probably, part of the brain. Um, I, um, I, you know, I think I've always just been more drawn to the arts and creative stuff. I'm not a very... Um, I was never very studious. I always liked, you know, reading and music and playing outside kind of thing. I wasn't the smartest person, but I, um, I don't know. I think there's similarity there. I mean, we listen to a lot of music at work. It's really important to us. Um, it kind of puts you in a good head space. It's good for, especially being. Um, Harpist, where you, you sleep when I went to undergrad, you spent a lot of time alone actually practicing like four to six hours a day. And I think it does train your brain to, um, to build confidence, to function um, on your own, to make your own decisions. And you have to do a lot of that in wine or make quick decisions, quick movements. Um, I don't know if that really answers your question. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I don't like sit around and think about how melodies and stuff influence my wine and but um but it definitely puts me in a groove in the winery when I'm thinking about it um, and they both I don't know they kind of just go together if mm -hmm. that makes sense mm -hmm. yeah. a lot of solitary time a lot of physical yeah, time it's just a lot of physical solitary time <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
So you mentioned earlier you've 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 worked for a lot of different people. You've worked worked for a lot of with a lot of places, uh, and then you decided to start your own thing. So tell us about the the sort of the creation process and, and all of the steps that you had to undertake. Sure. Well, it's been very stressful. I'm not gonna lie. Starting your own brand is really hard. Um, it kind of just happened. My boss encouraged me to make something, and so I. I don't know if it was a smart idea, good idea, but I started with something I'd never made before. <laughs> I picked Primitivo, which is Zinfandel, mm-hmm. and um, and I did it because I wanted to challenge myself, um, and it was something I was excited about learning. Um, so I got um, about just over, I think it was like just under a ton and a half of Primitivo in 2019, um, coming out of the Washington side of the gorge, and. At the time, I didn't have any concept of a brand or anything. I was truly just like, I guess I'll make something. I didn't even think about selling it or anything. And um, I decided uh, to continue the process and buy some more fruit the next year. I vintage that over so that when I bottled, I had at least two products to sell. So my next wine was a rosé. And I thought, okay, gosh, I'm making a brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think creating a brand is really hard, um, especially as someone who's small, to be different. Um, I don't obviously have a grand tasting room or winery or vineyard. I don't have any of that, and I think that really helps one find, get a following or get recognized. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been an interesting process. Uh, there's definitely days where I'm like, why am I doing this? I hate this so much. And then there's days where I'm like, I love it. <laughs> but the story of my brand is I decided to go with kind of some family background. So as I mentioned, my dad's from South Africa, and I go as often as I can. Most of my family lives there. It's one of my favorite places in the world, and I really love the wines that come out of South Africa because there's just so many regions where you can grow every varietal you can think of, um, including Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. And I. Um, so I wanted to kind of represent my family in a way, so I named my brand Lolati Wines, and Lolati was the name of my great-grandfather's farm in South Africa, and I, um, I didn't bring it with me, but I, my labels are all based around fabrics um, that are called kokoi, and which originally are from Kenya, but we use in South Africa as like beach towels or wraps, um, shawls, tablecloths, and they're just very bright and vibrant, and so all my labels are just these bright colored fabrics. And then um, I would say as far as the types of wines I'm making, I'm trying to be different by not necessarily making the things you would find here. So I am purchasing, currently purchasing all my fruit out of Washington. Um, I, um, you know, I definitely get asked why am I not focusing on Oregon. If I, I'm never saying never. It's just that I a lot of the styles of wines that I'm trying to do, which are these big heavy reds, mostly I think are doing a little better in that area. I would love to do Pinot Noir one day. It's just hard to compete with everybody else when I'm making really tiny lots. Um, and it's um, been a fun process, fun and frustrating. <laughs> but um, So yeah, I'm doing, um, like I did a Sauvignon Blanc, Grenache, Syrah, I'm going to do some blend, uh, some blends coming up this summer, um, but yeah, it's been fun, it's been really 
hard not having a space to pour as well, and so I've been spending pretty much all my free time. If I'm not doing music, I'm guest pouring somewhere. Um, and people have been so generous to let me use their tasting rooms. Um, that's been really helpful. I did some of my first winemaker dinners recently. Um, I've done some women in wine events. And, um, and then my husband and I decided we should have a little tasting room, and so we are currently building one in our barn here, um, which is really stressful. <laughs> um, luckily, we love each other so much, and we're still together because it's not easy. <laughs> but um, yeah, and that was—that's just been kind of my journey. I'm in like a year and a half now, so mm. it's, it's still very new. Um, but people have been very um, supportive, uh, but it has not been easy mm. for sure. Mm -hmm. Not for everyone. <laughs> yeah. How difficult was it to come up with the sort of the name and the style you were looking, uh, visual style you were looking for? Um, you know, the name was interesting. I, it's funny. I think it's definitely helpful to get feedback from others for sure. But at the same time, that was frustrating. And I often ask friends and family their opinions on things, and then I don't really like their opinions. <laughs> and so I would suggest anyone doing their own brand to go with their gut. <laughs> tasting wine too I think it's um, you know especially like when I was doing a lot of classes like blind tasting if this makes sense to always go with your primary or your initial you know tasting and perception because the more you sit around and hem and haw you're going to muddle everything and get confused and lost and I think it was the same with me creating this brand um, my dad had suggested the name Lilati as a family name and you know my mom the name Lilati again because it represents my family and it's also something that nobody else I know has mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really hard too to come up with a name that maybe is meaningful is recognizable and different mm -hmm. um, a lot of times they tell you to just make up a word um, because the other challenges you come up with are the TTB and the OLCC I mean that's an interesting challenge in and of itself mm -hmm. um, but anyway for the brand it actually wasn't that hard for me to come up with and then the design itself came very quickly I was lucky I think also doing sales for so long and selling product you see what comes and goes and what people purchase and so um, I definitely wanted something um, not necessarily sophisticated but something unique um, I was actually in Mexico City sitting at a bar and I saw a striped label immediately was like that's what I'm gonna do it made me think of the Kukoi fabric and it all just made sense so it actually and my designer nailed it the first time it's that has actually been the easiest part is the design and the name and the concepts um, it's probably a little confusing to some people about the South Africa connection but um, to me it just means so much and I think that's the most important thing So obviously you mentioned a long history of selling wine, of pouring wines that were that were others. So how different is it when it's yours? It's, I would say it's easier and it's harder. It's easier to explain because it's mine. I know everything about it. Um, at the same time, I would say that it's hard because it's mine and people are going to give you their opinion of it. I feel pretty confident behind my product. 
As you've gotten those reactions, those responses, the feedback, has it has it changed your plans at all? Have you have you have you thought about working with different varietals because of it, or have you thought about making a different style because of it? Um, not, not really. I kind of am just doing what I want to do. <laughs> I mean, I definitely get a comments here and there, but it hasn't been very negative mm-hmm. or very critical. Um, I. so much. I mean, I definitely have moments, you know, during harvest or during blending or before bottling, I definitely have these second guesses of the product itself. Like, is this how I want it to be? Is this good? Is this good enough? You know, how am I, how, what am I going to sell it for? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm like so confident, mm-hmm. but um, uh, it's definitely challenging. Um, but I feel pretty good about all of it. I mean, I, I, I've, if anything, I've been more excited about doing it's really hard to not be like, oh, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to buy that, I'm going to make all these things, and then when the bills come, you're like, oh my god, um, and then you have to sell it, and the other thing is, I don't have a storage facility at the time that I started bottling, a lot of the storage facilities were full or very expensive, and being a small producer, they didn't really want to take me on, um, and so it's all stored in my basement, so I hand truck that with my husband up and down the stairs every time we bottle. And so I stare at my inventory every day while I have dinner, and that's really stressful. Um, but it's also motivating, so it makes you like, oh my god, I gotta sell this stuff. Um, so, yeah, there's all those fun challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I, and I imagine that starting a business in 2019 has been its own kind of challenge. So, so tell me about the past couple of years and how yeah. that's gone, how that's how it's gone for you, what, how that's affected your You know, it work. wasn't I didn't have a tasting room. I didn't have a business that I had to shut. Um, and, you know, my boss actually sold probably more wine than he'd ever sold. Um, you know, it was an interesting time. It is still an interesting time. A lot of people were drinking more during COVID, <laughs> actually. And so um, selling wine wasn't so hard. For me, it was just hard because it was a new brand. Mm-hmm. I don't think it would have made a difference because like, I, I just didn't the thing that I was definitely frustrated with, which I had hoped or was planning on doing, was, you know, I've been able to guess for as things have opened up, but, you know, so many places, you know, whether it was a food store or a restaurant or a grocery store, they had you were, they had people pouring, tasting. I mean, when I was at New Seasons, I booked people two or three times a week to pour product, and they stopped, they completely stopped doing that, and so that definitely freaked me out, because then I, I just assumed I would be doing all of that. doing 
do things, but um, I will continue to get support and do whatever it takes as much as I can. But yeah, like starting a business in 2019 was not great. Um, You talked about uh, sort of the wine education part for yourself, te- te- the teaching side of things. I'm, I'm curious about how that, how that kind of, um, how it came about and, and how, what you enjoyed about wine education. I love to learn. Um, I love to read. I, um, I love taking classes on any subject. Well, not any subject, most subjects. But um, I, um, I've always loved taking wine classes. I, I love tasting different things. To evaluate the wine itself, and I think that's having that background has really helped me in the production side because I have some inventory in my mind and my palate as to why things taste a certain way. I think if you're just doing tasting, you know, if you're a song, um, there's so much education that goes around it, um, but to then make it takes it to a next level. Is its own challenge that um, not everyone can understand, mm-hmm. and I think it's very helpful for me in production. It makes you a little more um, focused on your sense of smell and your taste at all aspects of the production side. So having that background, I think, has really helped me, mm-hmm. and it also has helped me envision what I like or what I would want to make. And then um, the classes that I taught were strictly wine blending classes at Urban Wine Works and that was truly just fun um, to show people like you can have all these varietals and then look how you can make something completely different. Um, I mean it's a lot like cooking um, with spices or seasoning. They all have their place or their purpose and um, so I just I've always enjoyed the education part of it and if I had time I would continue to do things. <laughs> right now I should take business classes but I think has been very helpful for me in production. And I often recommend to people who just start production to go backwards and take some wine tasting classes because it, it does help. Um, I think you can't have one without the other, in my opinion. It's spending some time with bottles versus grapes is really important. It makes you a better wine maker. So as you're looking at Lilati just, just getting started and, and, and finding having finding your space, tell me what comes next. What are your kind of goals for the brand? Um, I would say I'm still slowly figuring that out. Um, I mean, I would like to ramp up my production mostly because I just want to make more stuff because it's fun. <laughs> um, and that would be really exciting to me. Going to take a couple years, mm-hmm. um, and then I'd be very curious how it goes with the tasting room. I'm excited to just see about having my own space. I mean, I was thinking just the other day how excited I was that I could put my brand T-shirts in a, in a cupboard, you know, in a space that's always there. Which <laughs> sounds so dumb, but like to just have something that's my own that I'm not lugging stuff every which way. Um, so I'm excited to see how that grows. It's going to be challenging for sure. for people to learn about my brand um, and yeah I mean I'll 
So you mentioned being excited about all the different things you can make or can can. So uh, down the line, what do you what do you what do you want to work with? What do you want to create? I would like to do more blends, actually. Um, I mean, I kind of do that now, but I would really like to work on um, bettering my skills at blending, and because I I think they're so incredible and delicious and fun, and um, they can make a better wine. So you talked earlier about how there, there's a lot of Pinot Noir, obviously you're making something that's different, uh, which is exciting. Um, how has the reaction been? Are people excited for the wines you're making? Are they are they seeking out that kind of wine? I think so. I definitely get some slack for not making Pinot Noir, um, which is, I think, really funny. Um, <laughs> for example, I did some wine dinners, winemaker dinners at Rosa Marino in Newburgh. It's a wonderful Italian restaurant. And I was excited because all of my wines were different. So a lot of times, uh, you know, at dinner, especially in Oregon, you're trying different Pinot Noir, which is also wonderful and fascinating and delicious. But I just thought it was really fun that people could try completely different varietals and different styles within a dinner um, in Oregon. Mm -hmm. And the feedback was awesome. I think people were just so excited because each course was really that different because because the grape varietal itself is different or the blend. Um, however, at the same time, I definitely got a lot of like, well, why aren't you buying fruit from Oregon? Or why are you not making Pinot Noir? And I said, well, I do make a lot of Pinot Noir. I make a ton of Pinot Noir. And I just don't make it for my brand right now. Um, because it's very competitive. Um, and, yeah, I just wanted to do something different. And so even if people give me a hard time, it doesn't bother me. And I'm be quick to respond and I also feel like they love it. I mean they love it. They're just confu a little confused <laughs> sometimes because they're not in Washington or something. But um, you know I think there's it's just really fun to get fruit from different regions I and mean, how fortunate are we to get fruit from Washington um, in different parts of Oregon. Like I think that's great. They're our neighbor, why not? So So I want to talk about the Oregon wine industry a little bit. Uh, I'm curious your first impressions of, of Oregon's wine industry and, and the people here as you started to get to know it. Um, when I first started, um, I found it just really fun and fascinating. I mean, like we bought um, this property like 13 years ago. And so that kind of happened around the time when I was working with Howard uh, in Newburgh here. And so I was sort of learning the valley myself because for so long I was living in Portland and commuting. Um, you know, I'd also done a lot of 
tasting rooms part time on my weekends. Mm -hmm. So it was fun to like do both, like do production, you know, take classes, and then pour wine um, from different people. And um, it definitely was a, a nice local feel, like a local community feel. I think as it's grown, it's been really interesting. Um, it's funny, I probably go wine tasting a lot less than I used to just because I don't really have a lot of time. <laughs> but I think it's important to do, to see what your friends and neighbors are doing. Um, things are definitely getting bigger in the industry as far as um, facilities. Mm -hmm. It's There's so many more wineries now than there were when I first arrived at Oregon. Um, you know, you don't just hear the same big names. It's a lot of small producers are getting a lot of recognition, which is great. Um, I mean, I think it's very exciting um, and um, but also challenging because it's just becoming so saturated. I mean, I've added to it just another brand. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I think it is exciting. Um, and the styles of wine have really evolved, I think, too. You're getting a lot of um, different variation in how wine is made. Um, I don't like all of it, but I think it's great. I mean, it's just, it's interesting. Everyone's just doing something so different than somebody else. Um, and I think that's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> have you seen along with that um, a difference in sort of type of consumer or consumer expectations on the industry um, I mean yes and no it's definitely you see more people visiting the valley absolutely um, and coming from out of town I think Oregon has become more recognized especially the Pinot Noir as a destination um, and there's a lot more places to stay. Um, it's very beautiful. Um, it's just, it's, um, I think people are willing to pay more for Oregon wine now as well. Um, prices are going up for sure for a lot of reasons. But, um, but it is nice to know that people are excited about Oregon wines. Um, you know, whereas when I was a young person, I didn't really know much. You just, all you hear about is California. Um, a lot of people from California are coming up here now to try the wines or move here and um, so I think it's it's doing quite well and I'm excited that it's not just Pinot Noir that Chardonnay is getting much more recognition as well mm -hmm. um, so yeah mm -hmm. what about what comes next for the Oregon wine industry thing for this part of the country um, I think you're gonna see more people move here winemakers move out here from other regions maybe to escape fire or issues they're having in other climates um, and I think it's gonna be an interesting challenge for them because it is a different place um, I think but I think you're gonna see more of that I think you're gonna see more big companies, big brands scoop up wineries as, as they've been doing. Um, and um, I mean, 
I think there's still going to be these still pockets of small producers. I think those communities are actually going to get even more exciting. Like Carlton's a good example of a community that's really focusing on small producers, but um, but it's just become more of a place to go visit. Is whereas maybe when I moved here, a lot of people maybe wouldn't have gone there to go have lunch or drink wine, and I think that's great. Um, I mean, I'm even seeing a little bit more of that in Sherwood. Um, I think these communities in and around the valley are just um, growing as a, as a, another aspect of a destination. Um, you know, it's not just Dundee anymore. So that's great. So we talked a little bit about what's coming in the, in the future for you. Is there anything else that you're looking ahead to either for yourself and your brand or, or for this, the industry in general? that you're kind of looking ahead to? Um, like as a goal or something? A goal, a concern? A yeah. Um, I mean, the climate's definitely really scary, I think. I mean, in a way, it's, it is what it is. It's just, you know, it's farming. It, you can't predict. You can't be perfect every year. You can't predict. Um, and I think that's just part of the challenge. And I think that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think it does make you better, a better winemaker um, to have those challenges. Um, yes, it can be frustrating. Um, I'm very concerned, interested in what the climate will be out here. Maybe we'll see more varietals beyond Pinot Noir. I think that's been challenging for those who planted a few other things out here that I just don't think we were quite ready for. But I think that could change. Um, just being more aware of climate. Mm -hmm. um, water will be interesting. Um, you know, I don't know if irrigation is going to become a thing, more of a thing here, like it is in Washington. I mean, the dry farming thing is great, but I don't know for everyone how realistic that is. So I think figuring out water sources or how to collect water is going to be really important to become more creative in that respect as far as how to maintain your property and then also just making it. Um, I, I would say for my brand, my hope and my goal is to just become more recognized locally. I know it takes probably 10 years for a brand to ever succeed, who knows if I'll still be here, but I would love to get some more national, actually get some national publicity at some point. Um, would be really exciting for me mm -hmm. um, and just getting more people to try my wine um, and yeah I guess yeah I would just hope that there would be more events uh, around other varietals beyond Pinot Noir that are for everyone I think that would be really cool I know there's more Chardonnay events happening I think that's awesome um, and then also for the smaller producers to have more opportunities to be um, represented or have their products tasted or have an experience. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think those are like the big things. Mm -hmm. So if someone were to ask you about getting into the Oregon wine industry, what would your words of wisdom or advice for them be? Sales 
production side. Um, you know, I think being an intern and the, like, for example, if you want to make wine, I think it's really um, smart to work for a lot of different producers, even if you don't agree with everything they're doing. Um, but you'll learn so much. You're so much to learn from error, <laughs> uh, whether it's your own or somebody else's. Um, and then also just learning about, you know, figuring out what you actually would like or you like. Um, so I would definitely recommend working for as many people as possible. Um, and I've been fortunate to do almost every job I can think of in wine, you know, whether it's sales or tastings or events, making it. I mean, um, I think there's some value in mixing up what you're doing. So if you're in production, I think it's actually great to do the sales side as well, like work in a tasting room, because especially if you're going to start your own brand, you have to figure out how you're going to sell it. It's easy. It can be easy to make it, but selling it is the hardest part. And marketing and all of that. So I think it's it's not a bad idea to um, challenge yourself in doing other jobs that may not necessarily interest you, because they all kind of they all kind of come together and are, are important. Um, and um, yeah, and just like making connections with people um, within the industry is, I think, really helpful and important. You learn so much, whether it's from the farmer, winemaker next door, or from the guy selling you um, citric acid or whatever. You know, like they all have something to teach you or tell you or help you with. Fantastic. Um, all the questions that I have for you, anything I didn't ask that I should have, anything we didn't cover? Well, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time, for sharing your beautiful okay. space here with us, and uh, we'll go ahead and let you off the hook. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all our supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have helped make our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you from the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield University. With a very special thank you to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.